Happy Valentine's Day. Or as they say in the South, in some places, Happy Valentine's Day. Don't you love that one? And thank you for the birthday uh, wishes this past week. Um, I don't even know if I, there were so many of them, I don't even know if I got to them all. Um, I'm, I'm feeling older today. Seems like just last week I was 53, and uh, I turned 54 on Friday. You'll get that later. That was a joke. Um, aren't you loving all this rain? All you people who've been praying for all the pollen to go away, your allergies are better. You're not coughing. It's hard to cough at this time. You know, it's like COVID cough. People are freaking out, right? It's like allergies. You're like, sure. You know, they don't cut you any slack. So my allergies are better, but all this rain has brought on my bursitis, my tendonitis, my arthritis, and all my other itises. I'm feeling old. So my body's falling apart, but that's okay. God's going to give us a new body. I'm in heaven. <laughs> and I feel like some days I might be on my way. Uh, I'm glad that you're worshiping with us. If you got your program, we've got a lot to cover. Um, listen. All the men, did you get the word? Did you get the word that it's Valentine's Day, or is this a shock to you? Um, I'll see you at Publix later, uh, I'm sure. I'm going to be in there with my kids, kind of saying, hey, they're, they're following instructions. Um, yes, it is Valentine's Day, and we're continuing our series. I just have a little bit of friendly advice for all the husbands out there. I mean, this would be the day of all days. If, if you've never clicked a Bic, and uh, I know for some of you, flicking a Bic is what you heard there, but no, if you click a Bic um, and you've never taken notes, man, today would be the day because your wife would be going, whoa, you know, he's in the mood for a little romance. He's going to take notes on relationships in church, just friendly advice. Um, we are continuing our series called Unmasking Relationships, Timeless Relationship Truths in the New Normal. And as I said, the last 10 months have been brutal, haven't they? They've been some of the most stressful months that any of us have ever been through. One of the places that we've been seeing... The devastating effects of the pandemic is in our interpersonal relationships, and that includes our marriages as well. So this is a series on relational health, and we've been looking at how do we make our relationships healthier? How do we improve our relationships? And I've been saying for months, and we're starting to see it, been saying we're going to see a spike in conflict, we're going to see a spike in relational Conflict, separations, and divorces, especially for our caregivers, teachers, doctors, nurses. If you're a teacher, a doctor, or a nurse, or a minister, 2020 threw you for a loop, and 2021 seems a lot like deja vu already, doesn't it? And if you add to that all the first responders, the EMTs, the firefighters, the cops, the you know, we're going to see these marriages are under the greatest stress probably at any other time historically other than possibly wartime. So today, on Valentine's Day, I'd like to talk about what it takes 
to build a love that lasts forever. Now, this applies to married couples. This also applies to dating and engaged couples. This also applies to anyone who's single who someday wants to be married or counts it at least as a possibility, like, yeah, maybe, you know. (laughs) This even applies to those who have, maybe you're thinking in your mind right now, like, yeah, been there, done that. Don't think I'll ever get married again, Jerry. Um, But you'll see that some of the skills that we're going to talk about, some of the things that we're going to talk about from God's word, you'll kind of maybe see some answers to why, um, well, we'll all see some answers to why things maybe have been rocky in our relationships in the past. You see, the Bible calls marriage a mystery. I love that word. It takes some pressure off. There's, there's no marriage experts. You know, there's no relationship experts. It's a mystery. In Ephesians 5, 31 and 32, it says, As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Leaves his father and the wife, two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Now, some of you may be thinking, you know, well, if marriage is a mystery, is it real or is it an illusion? And that's a pretty good question because in today's culture, you know, you have to ask yourself, is it even possible for two people to love each other so much or so well that they end up spending their entire lives together? Is it possible that two people could be so bound together, so bonded together in marriage that nothing would separate them except death is that even possible well what i want us to look at today is i want to identify the six keys to building a love that lasts forever now there may be more keys than this but we'll be lucky if we get these six down right because god's ideal for marriage is harmony and unity and intimacy. That's God's ideal. And that's the ideal for most of us. But most of us, we don't stay in that ideal. In fact, it's been said that, you know, we go from the ideal to pretty soon marriage becomes an ordeal. You know, and eventually we're looking for a new deal. And then it's like, let's make a deal. I'm going to cut and run. That's not God's goal, okay? God's goal is that we have these six keys that unlock the potential of having a love that lasts forever and that our marriage can become all that God wants it to be. Six keys to building a love that lasts forever, if you'll jot these down. I made it easy. There's like only one word. (laughs) There's not one word out of a sentence to fill in, just a word. First one I want you to jot down is communication. Now, that's a given, isn't it? We all know that communication is important in every relationship. We also know it's a big problem. And if you want to make progress in your relationship, and really any relationship, we have to learn to talk with each other. We know from studies that have been done that they say about 85% of all marriage problems come from a communication breakdown 
It reminds me of the meme I saw the other day. The guy was wearing a t-shirt. The t-shirt said, if a man speaks in the forest and his wife isn't there to hear him, is he still wrong? <laughs> Communication is hard. And it's exasperated by the fact that in our culture, they say the average person spends over 40 hours a week in some kind of screen time. They're either on the computer, watching television, on their devices more than 40 hours a week, yet we communicate to our spouse less than four minutes a day. Maybe we should FaceTime our spouse from the kitchen. You know, maybe that would, you know, we like the screen time. Maybe, you know, I know some of you, some of you do that anyway, right? You, you text your, your, your wife and you see her phone in the kitchen. You text your wife and she goes in there to see what it is. And you text her, hey, bring me a Coke while you're there. <laughs> you shouldn't do that. Uh, do as I say, not as I do. Um, I'm only kidding. I don't do that. Because Nancy's always got her phone over here with me. She's like, get it yourself, right? Uh, we'll talk about that in a second. She never says that. That's my, that's my line. One of the things that we're going to have to work on if we're going to have a successful marriage, we're going to have a love that lasts forever, is this whole issue of communication. And we've got to put into practice good communication skills and systems. And we also have to be careful not to communicate in the wrong ways. Now, I think Pastor Rich used this verse a couple of weeks ago. I'm going to use it again. It applies to every Christian in every situation, but man, should it apply in our family. Ephesians 4.29, don't use foul or abusive language. Clean up your mouth. That's what he's saying. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Listen, we know how you talk in your home. We don't have to have big brother. Oh, no, we have little two-year-olds and three-year-olds. <laughs> they tell us, say, play for my daddy, his language, you know. Uh, you think I'm joking. That's not a joke, <laughs> but it is funny. God says, don't use foul or abusive language in your relationship. We can all do better at this. Valentine's Day is a good day to recommit. That's a command, like I said, to all Christians, but it applies to marriages. We have to learn the skill of good communication. We've all seen those couples who they used to talk, 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 text, 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 text. They, they used to spend hours on the phone. And yet, 30 years into marriage, you see them at a restaurant and they're sitting one across from the other. They're not even on their devices. They're just, they're just quiet. They just have nothing left to say. They're in silence. Doesn't seem to be any meaningful conversation. A grunt here, a grunt there, salt, pepper gets passed, right? We all have different styles of communicating. We all have different needs when it comes to communication. One of you might communicate the facts and the figures. The other one communicates in emotions. One of you communicates in sound bites. The other communicates in megabytes. We have different styles, different needs. Obviously, our genders are different. There's just so much difference. They say, studies have said the average man speaks about 20,000 words a day. The average woman about 30,000 words a day. Such a disparity there. I I happen to be 
above average. Um, woman told me the reason why women have to speak 10,000 more words a day is because she's always repeating herself so her husband will hear her. Didn't you hear me? No. <laughs> so we need to set aside some time, ideally daily. I know this is basic, but I want you to think back of the last seven days. How much time did you spend talking with, not yelling at, talking with your spouse, where you just get together and you debrief, find out what's going on in your world, what's going on in my world. And you've got to keep that relational connection. It begins with honest, authentic conversation. But let me give you a word, one word of warning. You've got to communicate. We have to communicate honestly in the best way that we know how. Because one of the number one problems in relationships, as relationships go longer and longer, is we begin to get into bad patterns. We begin to start speaking in riddles or hidden messages. Occasionally someone, maybe a woman, will say to her husband, I shouldn't have to tell you. You should know this by now. Any of you relate? Ladies, I, I just have to tell you, we can't read your mind. You say, well, we've been married, you know, decades. We still can't read your mind. And you say, well, you guys can't be that dumb. I assure you, <laughs> we are that dumb. I just speak on behalf of all mankind. We don't get it. We don't get you. It's a mystery. The Bible even says so. So we need you to spell it out for us. Preferably, spell it out slowly. Okay? Literally, write it down helps. Why do you think 3M invented post-its? We just don't get it very quickly. If the first key to building a love that lasts forever is communication... The second key I want you to jot down is consideration. You must be considerate of your husband or your wife. Consideration means not thinking only of yourself. You start thinking more we and less me. It means paying attention to what your spouse needs. It means showing common courtesy. It means treating them with respect and with care. Husbands, we especially need this. This is a biblical principle. Don't, don't go, why are you bashing all the husbands? I'm just going to read the verse to you in a minute. Husbands, we especially need this. But all of us, ladies, you too, we need to work on this together. One of, our, one of the primary purposes of marriage is to teach us to be considerate to someone else. Do you know why we have to learn to be considerate? We have to learn to be considerate because we aren't born Considerate. In fact, by nature, we're not very considerate people. By nature, we're very selfish people. You think of the toddler. Mine, mine, mine. Right? Toddlers are selfish. We all have that inner toddler in us. Some of us, it's not just in us, it is us. You know, we're just a 54-year-old toddler walking around. Mine, mine. Because the truth is... Apart from Christ, I, I think about my needs and my hurts and my wants. I'm not thinking about you. I'm thinking about me. And one of the whole purposes of marriage is to teach us to think we, not me. One of the whole purposes of a family 
you've got siblings, you've had to learn. It's not all about me. Now, it's hard to learn. But you have to share. You have to think of others. The reason God places us in families, the reason God allows us to be married is to teach us to be considerate because Jesus is considerate. God's purpose for your marriage is not to make you happy. Let me just stop and say that again because a lot of people, that's what they think. Well, God wants me to be happy. God's purpose is not to make you happy. Now, if you build a love that lasts forever, one of the benefits of a marriage, a family, of a love that lasts forever, is that you will be happy. But it's, it's a benefit, not a purpose in marriage. Because when you get in a marriage, you don't get to have your own way all the time. Good grief. And then you have kids. Then you don't get to have your own way any of the time. So it seems, right? So you have to learn to be considerate. So marriage is kind of the school of consideration. We have to learn to be unselfish. That's what your spouse is is accomplishing for God. He's teaching us through our spouse that we're not the only one. We learn it in marriage and we learn it with our kids more than any other place. Husbands, as I said, this is especially what we have to work on. Because look what it says in 1 Peter 3.7. It calls us out. Husbands, specifically husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you in the gracious gift of life so that, circle the word so that, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. What does that mean? Do you know, men, when we are inconsiderate to our wife, God says, I'm not going to listen to your prayers. What? That doesn't sound right. But it's there. It, and God's saying this, look, if you're going to go around bossing your family around, and you're going to be selfish, and you're going to be controlling, and you're going to be manipulative, and you're going to live like your own little kingdom there, man, man is my castle, my, you know, kind of, and be inconsiderate, God says, then I'm not going to listen to your prayers, dude. You're too selfish. I don't listen to the prayers of a selfish man. And you say, but God, I need your help in this business deal, and this will set us up, and da-da-da-da. And God's like, yeah, it's all about you, isn't it? He says, I'm not going to participate in answering all the selfish prayers of of the guy who's inconsiderate to his family. God's trying to teach us. In fact, one of God's primary goals is to teach us to be unselfish. And one of the tools that he uses is marriage. He says, I want you to learn to be considerate. The problem is the longer we the longer we stay together, the easier it is to be less and less considerate, the more inconsiderate we tend to become. I mean, we are most considerate when we are in the dating mode, right? We brush our teeth every day when we're dating, you know. We 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 we, we do little and big things like flowers and bathing, you know, just the whole gamut. When, when you are pursuing someone, you want to make yourself look the best that you can possibly look. 33 years of marriage later, you don't care that much. When you're dating, you're like, it's, it's, like, it's like those little, uh, those little chipmunks, Chip and Dale. You ever watch Disney? Got to be careful talking about the Chip and Dales because some of you, they go a whole other place. They're like, 
after you. No, 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 after you. No, I insist after you. No, I insist. And you're like, come on, would y'all just go through the door, please, right? Because we're married. Go, you know. Uh, Later, after you've been married a few decades, it's like, you know, (laughs) the door hits you in the face, right? You just go right through it. It's like, get it yourself. It's, It's like, you know, is your arm broke? You know, I mean, all those kind of things that come out. There's at least three ways that we can be considerate. Number one, I'm considerate when I'm being helpful. Write that down. Offering practical help. Consideration is seeing what your mate needs in advance. It's serving them. I'm leading one of my small groups through um, the five love languages. I know we have another five love languages going. Uh, they're, they're a week or two ahead of us. And um, it's amazing how these little things make a big, big difference in our interpersonal relationships. It's being considerate. It's, it's helping without having to be asked. It's asking the most, the four greatest words you can ever ask your spouse. How can I help? When's the last time we said those words? How can I help? It's taking the initiative. That's considerate. That means you notice she's trying to get the groceries in from the car, and you go ahead and you put the game on pause, and you go out and help, even if it's the fourth quarter. You know? I mean, you used to have to do this without DVR, those of us who are old enough to think of that. You know, and like, I can't miss this. You know, just wait on the groceries, and I'll get that milk tomorrow. <laughs> it's common consideration. All right. Think about what will be helpful. I'm also considerate when I sympathize with their doubts and fears. I mentioned this several times when we're going through the James study. Several times we're going through the James study, I talked about don't belittle people's fears, especially your spouse's. Have you noticed that my fear is always logical and rational, but your fears, dumb, stupid, irrational, you shouldn't feel that way, right, we say. And I, and I got to tell you, you know, if your spouse has fears that you don't have, it's inconsiderate to say you shouldn't feel that way or that's not true or to belittle it. So if your spouse is dealing with anxiety issues and anxieties, and there's a lot of things, there's a lot of things that are triggering people's anxiety issues now. Um, I encourage you, you know, to, to put yourself in their shoes to not try to solve it for them or logic them. You know, it's a feeling. It's okay to feel the way they feel. It's okay for your 2-year-old, your 12-year-old, your 22-year-old to feel the way they feel as well. We're often inconsiderate about the doubts and the fears of others. We put them down. Don't feel that way. So if you've got someone in your family that's, like, afraid to fly, all the logic in the world is not going to, like, make that just go away. They're going to have to. They're going to have to take some some steps to really work through that. And it might not be might just not be flying. It could be fear of anything or anxiety over anything. So I encourage you, be considerate and sympathize because you're in this together. Third thing, I'm considerate when I forgive their mistakes. We should do a whole, whole message, Nancy, on, on anxiety. Um, I'm considerate when I forgive their mistakes. Listen. You're imperfect, and you married an imperfect person. 
Go ahead and turn to your spouse and say, Pastor says I am married an imperfect person. They need to hear it from you. And then when your spouse tells you that I said they've been married an imperfect person, say, yeah, he said the same thing about you. There's no such thing as a perfect relationship because there's no, there's no perfect people. Um, because of that, because we're all sinners, we need massive doses of forgiveness. Forgiveness is one of the primary building blocks of a love that lasts forever, of a strong marriage. It's one of the primary building blocks. And it's a way of showing consideration. In James 3, it says that it's wise, a mark of wisdom when I'm considerate. And we know when we went through James, we talked about it a lot, that the opposite of wisdom is stupid fool, stupidness, foolishness, dumbness. I'm stupid, I'm dumb, I'm a foolish. Anytime I'm inconsiderate, not just with my wife, but with anybody. Wisdom is being considerate. Seeing the needs of other people, and that includes offering forgiveness. Third key. Third key is compromise. <clears throat> Boy, you don't have to be married very long to figure this out, do you? If you've been married longer than a day, you know that every single marriage has conflict. How many of you had conflict on your honeymoon? Nobody wants to admit it? Really? Wow. Just perfect people. I'm going to just sit down. You guys come up and teach this. You had no conflict even on your honeymoon? Man, good for you. Y'all learn how to be on best behavior. You know, in Acts chapter 5, people died for lying in church. <laughs> I see that hand, Ananias. I see that hand, Sapphira. Uh, there are some things that you're just not going to see eye to eye about in marriage. Um, you're not going to agree. It's been said, someone said, when you have two people that agree on everything, one of them is unnecessary. God has a way of putting us together with opposite personalities. God has a way of putting us together with people who have opposite or different life experiences. His purpose is that we'll see life through another set of lenses because of their background, because of their family of origin, because of their parents. Oh, my goodness. Lots of conflict, right? Because of your parents. Hey, yeah. Because God has given us different personalities, so we're wired differently. And obviously, we're different genders. So having a spouse is about having someone with a different perspective on how we should see life. In any marriage, we know that there are thousands of things that we're going to have to learn to compromise, to meet in the middle, to be flexible, to be willing to give up and yield our rights. Yeah, but I, I want, I need, I have. One of the, it's going to be big things and small things, and if you don't learn to compromise, it's going to lead to destruction. If your marriage is ever going to be successful, really, if any relationship is going to be successful, you've got to learn conflict resolution. Pastor Rich talked about this three, two and three weeks ago, two-part message. If you didn't see the messages on conflict resolution, they're online. They'll be worth your time um, to make your spouse watch. I mean, to watch them yourself. Um, so, so we don't learn this in school, so we have to learn the hard way. I don't know if there's a... I don't know if there's a YouTube for this, but Pastor Rich is on YouTube. Um, 
So virtually all conflict is traced back to one issue. It's the same issue every time. The issue is selfishness. The real issue is just self. The Bible says in Proverbs 18:1, unfriendly people care only about themselves. They lash out at common sense. When you go to the New Testament, you go to the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, Paul writes this. He says, basically, marker real love is compromise. He says in verse 5, love does not demand its own way. Time and time again in every relationship, we have to yield our rights of having our own way. And rather than demanding our own way or sulking when you don't get your own way, it's better to focus on deferring to our spouse and say, well, what's best for you? Or what do you want? What would make you happy? Those are all selfless phrases instead of selfish phrases. So we've got to be willing to be flexible. We've got to be willing to compromise. This isn't earth-shattering news, but this is something we can all do better at. If we really want to build a love that's going to last forever, we've got to not just listen and pay lip service to these things. We've got to work hard at them. And that comes in a thousand different forms in every relationship. By the way, it's very unloving for us to try to change our spouse. Our job is to love our spouse and let God change them as he wants to as they cooperate with him. Most of us, we want to help God out, don't we? I mean, because, you know, he's only God. He needs my help. You know, almost almost 100% of couples that go to marriage counseling, what they really want is for their counselor to change their spouse. If you could just straighten him out, my life would be a lot better. You know, thousand bucks an hour, is that good enough? You know, <laughs> like, honey, I can't straighten your husband out. I can't change your husband. $10,000 an hour. Okay, it's just no amount of money. Well, if you could just, I mean, I told you this. This is a true story. I had a guy back when I did marriage counseling sit in my office with his wife, and he says, if you would just tell her she needs to submit, everything would be okay. <laughs> I thought, stupid man. <laughs> They're divorced. They only came to me one time. You know, it was like last try kind of a deal. I'm like, yeah. At the wedding, we walk down the aisle and we say, I do. But a lot of us are thinking, I'm going to redo. I'm going to redo him. He needs a makeover. You know, I need a move that bus moment in his life, right? Move that bus. Look at my new husband, right? That's TV, folks. We're going to have to learn to compromise on how we raise our kids, on how much time we spend in our, with our in-laws, on what we do for vacations. We have to learn to compromise. We have to learn to compromise on how the house is decorated. We have to learn to compromise on a lot of different issues in our life, even intimacy. Some of us are wired like a microwave. Those are the men. Some of us are wired like a crock pot. So you have to learn to compromise even on how we do it. It's all about learning to compromise. At the end of the day, learning to be unselfish and maturing. Romans 15, 5 says, May God who gives this patience, who gives this patience and encouragement help you live in complete harmony with each other as is fitting for followers 
of Jesus Christ. All right, the fourth key to building a love that lasts forever. Kind of scanning the scanning the room. Glad that all of our elementary kids are in kid zone. If you look at the next couple of verses, you'll be talking about the birds and the bees and the gazelles and the all week long. So, well done. We have a great kid zone program. And you never know when we're going to bring out the S-E-X word, so you should keep them in kid zone. Because we're going to talk about key number four is contact. It's Valentine's Day. It takes communication, it takes consideration, it takes compromise, and it takes contact. I'm talking about physical touch, physical contact and affection. You might call it cuddling, you might call it caressing, whatever. You must touch to keep in touch. And as human beings, God gave us skin for a reason. We're not just a spirit and a soul. We have a body. We have skin. Largest organ that we have is skin. And it's meant to be touched. That's why so many people are feeling so unloved during this whole pandemic thing. There are people who haven't touched anybody in in almost a year. I don't know if they're going to make it. All of us, everybody, married or unmarried, we need physical contact, physical touch, hugs, pats on the back. I know right now I'm not hugging anybody, just elbow. Unless you've had it or had your double shots, then I'll, that's vaccinations, not the other double shots. (laughs) Then I'll hug you. Listen, I used to hug probably 50 or 60 people a week in the lobby every single week before COVID. Maybe a hundred I used to hug. And I often used in fact, people, sometimes people would say to me, Pastor Jerry, the only physical affection I get all week long is here at church. And there are people that I've hugged that I've often wondered as they've, I mean, the hug was so intense. I've always wondered, I wonder how long this hug has to last them as they walked away. You know, they tell us babies will die from lack of touch. Failure to thrive syndrome. They're not stroked, touched enough, they can die. I, this is a true study. I'm not making this one up. Post all the other studies I make up. Just kidding. They did a study at UCLA. Get this. They discovered that if you, ladies, wives, if you hug your own husband, if you hug your husband at least three times a day, you can increase his lifespan by Three years. I know some of you are thinking, tough luck, honey. (laughs) Nice knowing you. We need touch. We all do. We also need, one of the best advices I used to give couples when I marriage counsel was, you need a date night. You need to go out once a week, to breakfast, to lunch, to dinner, whatever. Uh, In fact, we need to date our mate. If you're too busy to date your mate, you're too busy. Um, they say if there was more courting in marriage, there would be less marriages in court. I believe that. The problem is what we did to win our mate's affection, we haven't kept doing to keep our, fa- our mate's love and affection. And you remember when you first got married, you, you couldn't keep your hands off of each other. You were hugging and kissing, holding hands all the time, walking on, arm in arm. You see people, you see people out doing that nowadays. You're like, oh, dating. 
You don't think, well, maybe they're married, newlyweds, you know, right? Because you've been married a decade, a couple of decades, you're not hard to hold hands anymore. You're not touching and tender anymore. Don't touch me, you know. Sound like an eight-year-old. He's looking at me. Well, he's your husband, you know. Hello. We just revert, don't we? And listen, the devil has get, won a huge victory. If that's what your marriage is like. You, you're, you have settled for that. It's Valentine's Day. If you're going to build a love that lasts forever, it's going to take some contact. I know the old excuse. I've heard it many, many times. I just don't feel affectionate. Well, there could be a lot of reasons for that. Maybe you're just too tired. Maybe you're just too busy. Maybe, that, maybe it's a health issue. Maybe it's a chemical issue. Maybe you've got unresolved and resentment. Maybe there's so many hurts that have built up, that's why you don't feel affectionate. Dozens of reasons that you might not be interested in affection or sex or anything else. And there are things that you could deal with and discuss. You don't have to stay stuck. But I am willing to tell you this for sure. It's easier to act your way into a feeling than it is to feel your way into an action. If you're like, well, I'm not going to be affectionate until I feel affectionate. The devil just makes sure you just never feel affectionate. You'll never feel like it. We have to act romantically. Hello, it's Valentine's Day. We have to act lovingly. We have to act. It's a very easy day to start. I'm going to warn you, okay? I'm I'm just going to warn you now. At the end of this whole gig, I'm going to say a prayer, and I'm going to ask you as husband and wife to hold hands. All right? So start planning your exit strategy early. You got about 15 minutes. I know you feel that wave of nausea coming over. <laughs> You're Twitter pated. Some of you are thinking, "Why? I love holding my husband's hands." Yeah, you don't need this message. You're doing fine. <sighs> Other people are like, "I should have helped with nursery." <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm warning you, okay? You're gonna so don't hesitate, guys. All right, look, even if you don't feel like it, you got to reach out and touch someone. It needs to be your spouse, okay? And I guarantee if you'll, if you'll, as a decision of your will, if you'll act your way into a feeling, the feelings will come. I love this story. I got it from a, an attorney. Don't wait for the feelings. You act your way. He said, a woman came into our law office seeking a divorce. And she said, I not only want to divorce him, I want to hurt him really bad for all the times he ignored me. So the attorney says, okay, okay, I got it. You go back. While I'm drawing up the papers, it's going to take me a few weeks. You go back and you just compliment him every day. And you just lavish him with attention and with affection. Every day. You tell him all the good things that he does, especially smother him with kisses and affection. Then when the paperwork's ready, we drop it on him. It'll devastate him because he won't know what happened. She's like, great idea. A month later, she called back to the attorney and said, cancel the divorce. We've both fallen in love with each other again. Now, I don't know if that's a true story or not but I do know it's easier to act our way into a feeling 
than to feel our way into an action. And physical affection is vital in the case of our marriages. It's as vital as communication and consideration and compromise and all these other. They're all important. Of course, in a marriage, contact also means includes sex. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 7, 3, the husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. God didn't intend for your marriage to be lifeless, passionless, and pleasureless and dull. Sex has profound implications on marriage. In fact, God is the one who invented sex. Yay, God! Okay? Let's just all praise him. Everyone that has breath, praise the Lord. The primary purpose of sex, according to the Bible, is not to have children. That's not what the Bible says. Even though people have twisted that all around. The primary purpose of sex is to cement a husband and wife together in spiritual union, in a bonding that is exclusive to them, that involves nobody else on the entire planet but the two of them. That's why God says don't have sex outside of marriage. It's profound spiritual implications. It's meant primarily for the bonding of a husband and wife together. Proverbs 5, 18 and 19 says, Let your wife be a fountain of blessing to you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She's a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by her love. When marriage deteriorates into simply a business partnership or two roommates trying to save a little on the monthly bills, then Satan has won a huge victory. That's not what God wants for our marriages. That's not what he designed for marriage. And we're setting our marriage up for failure when there's no contact, when there's no touch, when there's no intimacy. If you're having problems in this area of sexual relationship, then please get help. Email me. I'll give you the name of several marriage counselors who can help you in these areas. You don't have to suffer in silence. If you think it's a problem, it's a problem. Start working on these things. You can get all the help for all the possible causes, if you'll be honest. Ecclesiastes 9.9 says, Live happily with the woman you love through all the meaningless days of your life that God has given you under the sun. The wife God gives you is your reward for all your earthly toil. She's a reward. Fifth key we want to talk about today is commitment. If you're only going to take one word that would best summarize the whole marriage relationship, the word isn't love. The word would be commitment. Any two people in the right circumstances, the right environment, could develop romantic love feelings towards each other. It's only in Western culture, and it's only been for the last several hundred years, that people even chosen their spouse. On most of the planet, your spouse is still chosen for you by your parents or by some other arrangement. And for most of human history, it's been that way. And even in an arranged marriage situation, God says, you know what? Commitment leads to love feelings, that I'm in love, I'm in love with this person. Any two people can develop romantic, loving feelings towards each other. 
in the right environment of commitment. God expects us to keep our commitment to our marriage. In fact, look at this verse in Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. Listen, these are very strong words. Malachi 2.6, For I hate divorce, says the Lord. So God knows the pain that rips through your life, rips through your spouse's life, rips through your kid's life, through divorce. He hates the destruction that divorce plays upon those of us who've experienced that. For I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. Now, divorce is a reality in our world, even in the church world. Christian marriages fail at the same rate as non-Christian marriages in the United States today. People who identify as Christians. And there's a lot of people in our church, many, many people in our church, who have been through the painful experience of divorce. Thank God for his grace. And thank God for his forgiveness. Thank God that God, God is a God even of new beginnings for some of you. Well, let's be honest, this is not God's ideal. God wants every man and woman who stand together in front of the altar that make marriage vows. He wants them to stay married forever. No matter how hard it gets in life. I've officiated over 300 weddings. I say those vows almost by heart. You know, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer. Goodness, health, sickness. The good as well as the bad. And we say them so fast and we rattle them off and we're so in love. You know, we don't really think about sickness and we don't really think about poorness. We don't really think about all those things. But it's going to be hard at times to stay together. God's not trying to pull the wool over your eyes. He's saying, no, I want you to stay committed even when it's hard, especially when it's hard. We'll never have strong, intimate close relationships we'll never be able to build a love that lasts forever if we're you know pastor rich mentioned a couple weeks a few weeks ago we talked about divorce the d word just leave that out of your vocabulary because there's a tendency to kind of for some to go through life and think you know what if this gets too hard i'm just going to unlock the little skate patch and i'm 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 done you know if, if if this gets to where i don't like it or i'm uncomfortable or I'm unhappy because God wants me to be happy all the time, 24 hours a day, then, then I, I've got my way out here. Pastor Rich said, you need to throw away that key. And, and in our culture, it's just become too easy to just, to just run away. So let me encourage you. If you're married, if you're here this morning or you're watching online, maybe you're in the pavilion, and I'm already making you uncomfortable, let me just encourage you to throw that key away to get the D word out of your vocabulary. Don't leave yourself that, that escape hatch. Really focus on, till death do us part. When you said it, it was a lifetime commitment. Here's one of the things that people don't realize. Commitment means that somewhere along the way, you have to be willing to be unhappy for a little while. You're like, oh, yeah, I'm in the middle of unhappy here, Jerry. I, I got, you know, 
But you have to be willing to stay until things work themselves out. It's like the guy who stood up at his 25th wedding anniversary and he made a toast. And he said to his wife, to 15 great years. And that's kind of the truth. Not every year is going to be a great year. People are coming to me and saying, this has been a bad year. I'm like, no kidding. I feel kind of sad and depressed. Yeah. I mean, 2020 was the worst year ever. If you're like zippity doo and through it, you're in denial, man. It's been hard. And it's hard on your marriage. And other people are thinking, man, just get me to the vaccination. I'm done with this dude. You got to be committed. There are better days ahead. Listen, I used to say this all the time. I used to do a lot more marriage counseling. I don't have time to do as much anymore, but I used to say this all the time. Your greatest, I've said this to many of you, your greatest chance at lasting happiness is with your current husband or wife. And people have looked at me and said, that just can't be true. You don't know. And they list all of his faults or all of her faults. But no matter where you are right now, because that's what happens. People start thinking when and then, you know, well, if, if I could just get out, then I'll be happy. You know, if I, if I could just be with that person, then I'll be happy. You know, and they look at it and they go, look, I'm only, I'm only 34. I got my whole life ahead of me or 44 or 54 or 64. You could change that number to anything. You know, I'm only 84, Pastor. I'm going to get rid of this guy and find me somebody else, you know. And uh, if I could just get out of this relationship, then I'll be happy. The whole idea the grass is always greener on the other side. Listen, the grass isn't greener on the other side. The grass is greener where you water it. And sometimes this grass is greener because it's fake over there it's like plastic and sharp you know and you think oh that's what i want you know, roll around on that a little bit you'll be sorry <laughs> here's the sixth key to building a love that lasts forever it takes communication it takes consideration it takes compromise it takes contact it takes commitment last one it takes jesus christ i don't know how you're going to make it in your marriage without christ at the center of your marriage Because it doesn't take two people, it takes three. You, your spouse, and Christ. God never meant for you to go through your marriage, just the two of you. That's not his plan. Marriage is like a three-legged stool. That's how it has stability. Two-legged stool falls over. It takes three. You need you, you need your spouse, you need God. Jesus is the key to helping you do these other five things to build a life that will last forever. Colossians 2.2 2 says, I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan. There's that mystery thing again, which is Christ himself. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, you know in Florida, it's nice now, but we'll be heading into hurricane season before you know it. In a hurricane season, you know you've got to have a plan, and you've got to have your house on a foundation. If you don't have a good foundation and a good plan, the storms of life will blow you away. And it's the same way in a marriage. You're going to face a lot of hurricanes in life. You're going to face health hurricanes, financial hurricanes, emotional hurricanes, apparently a pandemic hurricane. You're going to have all kinds of problems and stresses and storms and hurricanes in your life, and you don't have a solid foundation, and you don't have a plan, 
then your home is not going to be stable. The foundation of your marriage, the foundation of all your relationships is Jesus Christ. The best thing you can do for your, for your spouse, the best thing you can do for your kids, the best thing you can do for your family is to open your life up to Jesus Christ. And if you want a strong marriage, then become a godly man. We can help you with that. If you, you want a strong marriage, become a godly woman. We can help you with that. How do you do that? Well, first, you open your life up to Jesus Christ. Second, you commit yourself and your marriage to Jesus. Third, you get involved in a small group for the support that you need. And then fourth, you start talking about these six things with your wife. Especially if you've never taken notes before and you took notes today, you want to say, hey, honey, you see, I took notes. Let's talk about this. So which one can we work on this week? Because you can read your Bible all you want, and you can pray all you want, and your marriage isn't going to get any better until you start doing these things. Become doers of the word, not just hearers and knowers of the word. You probably knew all of these. This isn't anything new. You already knew. But what we've got to do is we've got to do the word. If both of you will love God with all your heart, and love each other as yourself and commit to doing what God tells you to do about marriage, you can build a love that will last forever. I not only promise you that, God promises you that. You can have an outstanding, incredible, great, strong, healthy marriage. No matter what it's been like in the past. In fact, the worse it's been in the past, the better it can be in contrast. I challenge you to commit your life to Christ and commit yourself to these, to these five things. All right, let's pray. I warned you. Today, as we bow our heads, today could be a fresh start for your marriage. Wouldn't you like that? Wouldn't you like to say, yes, there's some barriers that I'd like to have come down. They've never fallen down. I'd like to work through some of the hurt, some of the pain, some of the issues that we've never talked about, I'd like to build our marriage. If that's you, if, if you're here and you'd say, I'd like to work on our relationship and make it better, then as a sign of intent, I want you to just reach over and grab your husband or your wife's hand and squeeze it and hold it as we pray together. And pray this in your heart. Right where you're at, hold her hand, hold his hand. And you both pray in your own mind to God, Dear God, help us to learn to communicate better. Help us to be more considerate of each other's feelings. Help us to compromise in areas of disagreement. Help us to forgive each other. Help us to make contact with each other every day in some way. Help us to deepen our commitment to each other in you. And help us to show affection. Jesus Christ, we need you in our lives. In your name I pray. Amen.